2: Hello, and welcome to The Drabblecast, episode frickin' 100. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, 100 episodes. That's pretty cool, huh? I'm not going to get sappy on you guys or anything, don't worry. But I did want to say thanks to everyone who's had a hand in helping out this strange little show. To those of you who've helped support us with your donations, you guys rock. Because of you folks, we were able to double our pay rate this year, and that allowed us to buy some pretty awesome stories. Also this year, we ended up pretty much breaking even instead of losing money on this show, which is fantastic, because I'm a starving artist, and Kendall's a starving theology student, and Luke's a socialist bastard. To those of you who've stepped up and donated your time and talent to help promote and assist us, namely Tom Baker, Josh Hugo, Bo Kier, Steve Ely, and Kevin Anderson, you guys are great. You're our imaginary board of directors, and without your help, we probably would have hung up the towel a while back. And finally, to all you folks listening, screw the Hokey Pokey. You guys are what it's all about. And that's not easy for me to say, because I really, really love the Hokey Pokey. But it's true. We take pride in having built a web community of weird-ass people with uber-short attention spans and a love for good, not-so-normal stories, and we hope to see this flock of hairy sheep expand every week. Thanks a lot, everyone. Before we get into our trifecta special, which is three great flash stories for the price of one that's free, it's time to announce the second annual Drabblecast People's Choice Awards. (laughs) This is a competition that we run through our discussion forums, a link to which you can find at Drabblecast.org, where listeners vote and decide their favorite story of the year. The next two weeks are open for nominations. If you join our forums, you'll find a section called Drabblecast People's Choice Award, where you can post a nomination for a story or second a nomination for a story that's already been nominated. The only stories being considered for the People's Choice Award fall between episodes 47, The Silver Ring by Joanna Hall, and this week's show, Two weeks from now, we're going to pull the top five nominated stories and set up a poll in the same section of our forums, where you can vote for your favorite of the five. And what does the winner get? Well, only the most badass trophy of any flash fiction story competition out there, the sacred Drabblecast Chalice of Glory. Last year's winner was Aaliyah Whiteley for her story Jelly Park, and Leah said that the chalice was actually too awesome. It started to take over her soul. If she hadn't journeyed to the Land of Shadow and up the Dark Mountain of Oredruin to cast it into a pit of fire, she's sure that the Chalice's power would eventually have made her go even more insane than she already is. In addition to the main prize this year, we're also offering a category for Best Drabble Story. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words, and we usually feature one in each of our shows. Same process goes for the Drabble category, except we're only going to be selecting the top three nominated Drabbles for voting. And the winner doesn't get one sacred evil chalice to rule them all, but rather a certificate plaque to hang over their fireplace. Or toilet. Wherever you think it'll be most appreciated. We'll have a full list of all the stories and drabbles in consideration at the forums to remind you folks. So get in there and nominate people. It only takes five seconds to join our forums. You'll have a blast. And as it turns out, it's a great place to meet smoking hot chicks. What? Don't give me that look. Okay, story time. We're going to start off with a story called Cork Ringtone and the Breakdancing Pig by Mel Bosworth. Mel lives and breathes in western Massachusetts. He enjoys reading, writing, petting his cat, and drinking black tea. His work has appeared at Atomic Jack Magazine, Joyful, and Residential Aliens, to name a few. Read more at his blog, edysacco.blogspot.com. The story is read to you by Mr. Alistair Stewart, host of one of my absolute favorite never-miss-an-episode podcasts, Pseudopod. Pseudopod offers weekly stories that most would argue fall into the horror genre, but it brings much more to the table than just werewolves and ex-wives. Sounds you may admit while listening to Pseudopod range from hmm... to... <laughs> to... Ay, ay, ay. Check them out at pseudopod.org. So without further ado, Cork Ringtone and the Breakdancing Pig by Mel Bosworth.
3: Cork Ringtone was a losing gambler who didn't believe in aliens. He didn't believe in God either, but on the day of the robbery, he decided to dress like Jesus, long flowing robe, sandals and a beard made from wool, crudely strewn on a bent coat hanger and hooked over his ears. He also wore a bulky splint because Joey the Finger McIntyre had snapped two digits on Cork's right hand, a friendly reminder that he had a debt to pay and that Joey was not called the Finger for nothing.
2: Remember, they don't call me the finger for nothing.
3: Desperate to settle his balance and to preserve his remaining fingers, Cork picked the liquor store to rob because it was two towns over from his home in Pudunk and close to the interstate ramp, providing a quick getaway. At 10.50pm, the parking lot was empty. Cork adjusted his beard in the rearview mirror, and then paced speedily to the store, robe billowing at his hairy ankles. Inside, a young woman with green hair chewed gum behind the counter while she stared, blankly, at a small black-and-white television. She glanced at Cork and giggled. "'Evening, Jesus! Come to turn our wine to water!' Cork bellied up to the counter and pulled a folded paper from his robe. "'Read this,' he said, shoving it in her direction. "'Read what? The Ten Commandments?' She opened the paper... Read it, and then frowned. I don't know what this means. We don't have any monkeys here. I think you've maybe been imbibing too much holy water, Jesus. What you see is what we got. Beer and wine. Cork snatched a note from her hands. It read, give me all the money, but since he'd written it with his lame hand, it did look like give me all the monkey. He stuffed it back into his robe, flustered. What it should say is... Just then, two fresh-faced policemen rushed into the store. The first dropped to the floor and began breakdancing, while the other stomped his foot and clapped. Look at your brother go, Rita! Son of a bitch knows how to do the crab! Then, noticing Cork, Bless this breakdancing fool, Jesus! Blessed be! Laughing, Rita asked, What's the occasion for this impromptu celebration, boys? Jesus and I were just discussing Thou shalt love thy monkey as the missing commandment. The dancing policeman pulled his knees to his chest and then exploded upright like a loosed spring. Look at the news, girl, he said. You got the TV on, but you ain't even listening to it. They busted the entire McIntyre crime family tonight over in Pudunk. Got every single one of them. The other added, Joey the Finger had some kind of religious experience this morning and ratted on the whole family. He tripped into the station in Poodunk, bawling his eyes out, sopping wet nothing on but a towel and flip-flops. Said God touched him in the shower and showed him the error of his ways. Said God looked like a little grey man too, with long arms and a neck head. Crazy fool. The two men bullied past Cork, draping themselves over the counter. Turn it up, Rita. Should be on the local, said her brother. Get in here, Jesus. Don't be shy. You're the reason this happened. Jesus? Where'd Jesus go? Cork raced across the lot to his car. He pulled off his beard, hand shaking. Once on the interstate, he allowed himself to smile. Praise the Lord, he said, but... Get this joker off my ass. Swirling, unearthly headlights followed Cork, nearly touching his bumper. He tapped his brakes, and the light suddenly drifted higher, like a Kenworth instead of a tricked-out Pinto. Then they disappeared. If Cork had bothered to stick his head out the window, he'd have seen the saucer slice across the sky and hide behind the full moon. But the joy of his newfound freedom and faith in a higher power was enough for one day. The aliens, they could wait until tomorrow.
2: Our next story is called Jerry Sounds by Michelle Howarth. Michelle's writing has been featured in Dark Fire zine and Absent Willow Review, and is forthcoming in the 52 Stitches Anthology. She's also a submissions editor for Shock Totem Magazine. Her passions include reading, writing, and writing some more. This story gave me the willies, people, so if you're a pansy, you might want to skip ahead to the next story. And by skip ahead, I meant you can either click your MP3 player to the next chapter, or you can actually skip, like a little girl on her way to Grandma's house. Pansy. The story is read to you by Mr. FNH, host of the really, really fantastic Cthulhu podcast. The Cthulhu podcast brings you all things from the Lovecraft period, that is to say, the 1920s mostly, and this includes horror stories by H.P. Lovecraft himself and other authors, as well as music and history from that period. I love this podcast. Hope you'll check them out. So here we go. Jerry's Sounds by Michelle Howarth.
4: Jerry listens, all day, all night, every second God sends. He sits in his corner, head tilted to the left, and takes in the slow drip, drips of his surroundings. Other sounds too, shuffles, scuffles. Wretches are intermittent. How long between them he doesn't know He can't distinguish hours from minutes. His time consists of those drip, drip, drips, and what their source is, he can't tell. He might hazard a guess, but he's not sure. An occasional moan adds meat to his bowl of sounds, and fluid comes with a guzzling slurping swallowing of the sludge they drink every once in a while. Jerry's hands are always open, awaiting his plastic cup. When the time comes, he'll hear the click-click footsteps, and he'll hold out his palms, ready to snap shut his fingers, aware that if he misses, he'll have to bend down and use his lips to collect the spilt substance off the floor. Mostly, Jerry likes to listen, even to the drip, drip, drips. They fill with something other than cold, hunger, and mind-numbing pain. There are sounds he hates, though. Sounds which have him clap his hands over his ears and draw his knees to his chest. Sounds which remind him. Initially, a thud is followed by screams. Those click-click footsteps, calm and precise. And the begging, desperate and shrill as a body bumps down the stairs. Jerry remembers those stairs. Next comes the grating of metal. Snaps and squeals and buckling. And then the screams escalate, for which Jerry is thankful. Thankful he can't hear the cutting and scooping and eventual pop. His knees press tight to his chest, and he hammers the sides of his head. It's not enough to bar it, though. He hears the gasping, choking, and final wet splat. Afterward, there is sobbing. Guttural rasping. (laughs) Metal cranks and rattles before a dull thud. And those click-click footsteps slowly ebb away it's a while before the mumbling stumbling groping begins along with broken words and feeble cries sometimes trembling hands find Jerry latch on to his shoulders and shake him spit slathers his cheeks spit and coppery blood Jerry does nothing With no tongue and no eyes, there's nothing he can do. Only listen.
2: (laughs) And finally... To balance out all this armed robbery torture chamber business, we bring you a simple, sweet love story called Cupid Playing by Ken Goldman. Ken is a previous high school English and film studies teacher at George Washington High School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's a member of the Genre Writers Association and the Horror Writers Association. He's had over 485 published stories in small, independent press since 1993, including Tales from the Talisman, From the Asylum, Pseudopod, and Well-Told Tales. Hope you enjoy Cupid Playing by Ken Goldman. This part was always the cherub's favorite. Discovering the right couple alone on exactly the right park bench on a cool and perfect spring night. The young lovers seemed barely out of their teens, their faces fresh with the wonderful promise of life's possibilities. They might even have been enjoying a first date, judging the tentative and charmingly awkward manner of the man's initial moves. The youthful suitor managed to get his arm around the woman's bare shoulder, although the spirit concealed in the bushes couldn't quite make out what words of love he was saying to her. It didn't matter. Clearly the girl desired this man close, and once her young man made his move, she leaned her head against his shoulder. Beautiful, just beautiful, the winged cherub muttered to himself, drawing nearer the two, hoping to overhear some snippet of dialogue. The words that came just before a couple's first kiss still fascinated him, and the tiny saint wanted his timing to be just right. "'I feel like I've known you all my life,' he heard the girl tell her beau. "'Maybe you have,' her date answered, taking her face into his hands. "'This feels so right, doesn't it?' he smiled. "'This feels more than right, Julie. It feels perfect.' "'Valentine's Day was already two months past, but that made no difference.' For young lovers, every day was Valentine's Day, every moment magical. The kiss was coming right now, no doubting that. Words like these required a kiss to seal the magic of this enchanted instant for all eternity. Steadying his hand, Cupid readied his bow. I'm so happy we met, Danny. So happy, who could have known? Only God. The young woman's lips parted, her eyes closed. The man lightly touched her chin and kissed her. She responded with fervor, leaning into the kiss and holding him close. Lips pressed together, they fell into a tight embrace, their heated passion making them oblivious to the winged seraph standing so near their bench. crossbow in hand. All the world loves a lover, the spirit whispered. Cupid took careful aim for the woman's heart first, a difficult shot while she was being held so closely, but timing was of the essence, and the cherub was an excellent marksman. The taut string of his bow twanged in the silence as he let his arrow fly. He scored a direct hit. The woman clutched her chest, too startled to say anything, but that reaction turned quickly to shock when she discovered the blood spurting in thick bursts from the arrow embedded in her heart. It spilled into her hands, and she held the palms before her eyes as if inspecting the sudden horror of the moment. Spattered with his lady's grew her lover's mouth fell open. What the... The young man hadn't even completed his sentence when the second arrow struck him in the eye. His skull split, the eye exploding in his head and dripping down his cheek like a runny egg. Cupid knew he couldn't stay behind to watch the chaotic scene he'd created. He would have to settle for reading about it in tomorrow's headlines, maybe catching the story on TV over coffee and cigarettes. Right now, he would run like the wind because paper wings serve no purpose when sprinting along park paths and running with a crossbow made escape especially tricky. Fortunately, a cherub was nimble and he had always managed to pull off his getaway without a problem. Thirty seconds from the scene, A nearby jogger passing him did a double-take that stopped the runner dead in his tracks, but Cupid never broke his stride. The jogger turned and gaped at the lone figure darting along the path in nothing but his underwear. No doubt when the guy resumed his trot, he would discover the two bodies that lay just beyond the bend slouched over the park bench. But by then, the spry little archer would be back in his jeep, and headed for the interstate. The thrill of this moment was worth the risk. Christ, he always felt so wonderful afterwards. That's what love really was all about, wasn't it? That wonderful rush of adrenaline coursing through his veins. It felt better than any drug. Love was such a glorious feeling, almost as glorious as seeing all that blood. Well, that was our trifecta. Hope you enjoyed it. And that was our 100th episode. Hope you're going to stick around for a 100 more. If you'd like to see us get there... Consider donating to us so we can pay our authors and cover production costs. You can do so either once or through a $5 a month subscription from the donate buttons on our main page at Drabblecast.org. We really do appreciate anything you can give. But if you can't give anything, we'd really appreciate you blogging about us or writing a review about us on iTunes or something. You know, spread the word. We'll see you next week. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that all the world loves a lover. And the bartender shouts last round. An hour ago this place was loaded. And noise filled the room like the smoke. And laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass. Words were all slurred when spoke. Yes, words were all splurred when spoke.